Hey, everybody. It's Mike Carlson from Podcast the Ride. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Scott Gairdner. Hello. And Jason Sheridan. Hey. And we've got a little announcement. We sure do. Yep. We're launching our new podcast on an app called Spoke to give Spoke. you three exclusive episodes. Can you believe it? Three. I can't. Yeah. Don't don't believe it, but it's true. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. Well, how does that work, though? Well, I'm going to explain. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlists of clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. So they're all grouped by topics or themes is what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. Thank you for figuring that out. Thank mm-hmm. you. I mean, you could try like a playlist that's uh, like about music being decoded when it's playlists with clips about unpacking and analyzing and figuring out how people make songs and what. why are they so cool, you know? They also have one uh, called Spoke's Perpetually Single Playlist, dedicated to podcasts about relationships, or lack thereof, in my case. Sure, Jason, don't put yourself down. I want to, I want to, all right. (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of things is what we're trying to say, and Spoke has, like, fun exclusive content from Feral, like our podcast. Uh, So you definitely don't want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now, free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Podcast the Ride's exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash podcast the ride. That's the address. Uh, Check it out. Spoke. It's time to spoke. Yeah, we're spoken. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough. And to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at Distilled, spelled D-S-T-L-D, you get, like, brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again. Break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com right now and use the promo code FERAL and check out and get a 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I would happen to be Matt Dwyer. Um, Hey, if you like my theme music there, it's a band called Les Blanks. Check them out at lesblanks.com. If you haven't listened to my show before, it is just what the title implies there. It is a conversation, a free-flowing conversation uh, with a fascinating, interesting person. Um, today is the uh, episode is the second of our conversations with Matt Dwyer road trip series. Um, we spent three days in Fort Bragg, California, talking to some pretty incredible people. Um, today, actually, this episode, uh, which is going to happen a lot in this road trip, we had a lot of firsts. Uh, today, I speak with a with Heather Brown. Uh, a good portion of the interview focuses on Larry Spring, who is no longer with us. But uh, I've never had an episode where we I've always talked to the individual. And uh, actually, I 
uh, emailed, I sought out Larry Spring, not knowing he had passed on to the other side, and um, uh, and Heather wrote us back and was like, Larry is no longer with us, but uh, Heather is a god darn interesting person, so uh, we decided to talk to her about Larry Spring, who uh, started the uh, School for Common Sense Physics, and she now curates his museum, which I believe is called the Department of Imagination in Fort Bragg. Uh, Larry Spring is an incredibly fascinating dude. Go to LarrySpring.com, check out more about him. Uh, as I talked to Heather about a lot of his uh, scientific work, his art. Uh, Larry Spring is a hard man to put into words. He's a he he led this huge, rich life of art and science and research. And it's pretty incredible. And then we also talk with Heather about her life and the town of Fort Bragg. It's a pretty wild uh, episode. And Heather is a very charming and funny, wonderful person. And was also very kind enough to, that if you've gone to my website, themattdwyer.com, and go to the road trip portion there, um, where uh, uh, we're posting photos and blogs and videos about each episode that we've done on this road trip, uh, the wonderful Airstream trailer we got to stay in, that was Heather Brown. She's an incredible person. And speaking of themattdwire.com, go there and uh, look at the road trip portion of my website and you'll be able to see uh, photos and video of my interview with Heather Brown. Great photos of the museum that Kelly Rose did and uh, of Mr. Spring's work. Uh, it's a really cool place. Uh, if you end up in Fort Bragg, I would highly recommend you see it. Um, yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's a really cool and awesome place. Uh, also, uh, you know, peruse my website, and uh, you can um, there's some things you can like an Amazon link. If you shop through that Amazon link, we and Feral Audio get a kickback of that money, and that helps support us a great deal. Uh, but f enough of my garbly gook. Let's get into this great conversation with Heather Brown. If, if you could tell us, I guess it's a hard thing to say who Larry Spring was because he was a man of a lot of things. But exactly this, this. <laughs> um, but As this, we look around, yeah, yeah. This uh, this building that we are in, this which is, I guess, is a, it's a museum and a, also a sort of, a, I guess, a shrine to his many works. Yeah, it's definitely a museum that captures a lot of his interests. He was like 94 years old when he passed away, so he had time to explore a lot of different things, and uh, this museum is a reflection of that. Yeah, and it's which people will see on the pic in the pictures and stuff. But it's I mean it's incredible, it's incredible to walk around. It's it's there's so <laughs> like you walk into it and like I felt like a kid where I was just like oh like wow like you're in awe. And, uh, like, he he created a model for the spring atom, uh, right, right, Kelly, his but his, his models for atoms were, were different, is that? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, I guess I'd have to take you back a little bit. Um, Larry grew up as a farm boy, mm -hmm. and so he had a lot of curiosity, and uh, he was really interested in the transfer of energy. And it was really unusual for a farm boy without 
a, you know, basic high school education to become a pilot. But uh, he became a pilot in World War II and had some incredible adventures going from Cairo to Tripoli to Casablanca. And, uh, but he was always really fascinated in the transfer of energy. So even as a kid, he was building, you know, cat whisker radios and things like that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And um, when he got back from the war, um, he decided to take his passion on, you know, antenna installation and design, which he did a lot of up in Docker Hill, and uh, turn that into a business. So this building was a television uh sales and repair shop that's uh, he went into that for a while after yeah the, after after the war yeah after the war he started doing um a television repair shop and so that really took into his interest about antennas the installation design how to get better um you know receiving and well you know that kind of stuff Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was, because, like, but did he not have any sort of formal education in that? Because he was, like you said, he was a farm boy, but did he, did he not go to... No, and I think that's why he was able to make the discoveries, because he was unencumbered by the traditional, you know, university formal education, and so he didn't have any, you know, there were no entrenched furrows in his mind of how things were, so he could really look at things fresh. And did, but, but did he sort of study, uh, I guess he, I mean, he studied sort of on his own, because he confirmed the speed of light in a different way than Einstein did. Oh, yeah, which use, is, yeah using two comparison uh, dipole antennas up on Docker Hill, he, um, yeah, he, he, he just, yeah. Let me just uh, take a look here. So um, he independently confirmed the speed of light with comparison dipole antennas in a field strength meter. And once he had measured one wavelength, he multiplied it by the frequency and its speed turned out to be the same as the speed of light. And so he didn't even realize what he had done at the time. But um, he was just trying to get better reception. So he was looking at the, the nulls and you know, the things on his field strength meter, and, and it was just an accidental discovery, and he was able to confirm the speed of light. That's... I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. I mean, not insane like he's crazy, but, like, that he would be able to do that. I know. Uh, he had another happy accident. Um, after he had retired, he had bought a big parabolic dish, and because he was so well-known as Mr. Television and had articles and... Um, you know, he, he had things in the paper. Um, when he had problems with this uh, parabolic dish, he didn't want to ask anybody. And so he started doing some research on his own. And um, it was a problem with uh, the feed horn. And he discovered in the textbooks that they were wrong, you know, compared to what he was observing. And so that was his big aha moment where he, he said, wait a minute, these textbooks are wrong. What else are they wrong about? And, you know, when you think about Larry, he had such a small window of opportunity to make these discoveries. I mean, it was really phenomenal because, you know, television came about in, like, what, the 50s? You know, when they started to be really adapted and it was an analog si si uh, signal. But, um, you know, they had about 40 years before they went digital. And so his discoveries were all made within that realm of you know like 40 years and it had to be someone who had the right kind of interest the right kind of knowledge and wasn't just accepting what was happening in science books 
And so that's how he started to make his discoveries. And would he, like, with the, the speed of light thing, uh, but when you said he he thought, oh, some of these things in textbooks are wrong, would he purposely, would he go back and then try to find different angles or different discoveries that for things like the speed of light, if that made sense? That it was uh, yeah, difficult well, to get out. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he started off with something small like electromagnetism and came up with a completely new model of mm -hmm. electromagnetism. And so he verified the size and the shape and the reflective qualities of it and uh, the electric and magnetic characteristics of it. Um, and he decided that, you know, after his experiments, that energy was spherical. And because a sphere was the only thing that you could drop into a parabolic dish, and wherever it bounced, it would always go to the focal point. And so when he started to discover things like that energy was spherical, um, he was able to, uh, you know, just, just bust it wide open and come up with new models for just about everything. I mean, he came up with a new model for heat, a new model for the atom, a new ad uh, model for reflection. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, his, his stuff was just amazing. It's, it's I mean, uh, yeah, you know, you could really go into it, but Larry was such an expert and so fluent because of his background with um, television and antennas and signals, he could really explain it in depth. And so my job to carry on his work was to transcribe and learn his material the best I could, but mainly just put it into a form so it wouldn't be lost. And so that's why we did the website. And uh, my strength was try to simplify things that were very complicated. And so if you go through the website, you can you know see his different experiments and he was not theoretical he didn't like dream up ideas he he was very experimental and he stuck to his code of experimentation observation and verification mm -hmm. do, do you know where he came up with that code or was that just something well he he wasn't a dreamer he didn't you know even though when you look around you can see his whimsical wood creatures or his paintings or his wood turning he had he had both sides of his brain working, yet um, when it came to his work, he was very much an experimenter, and he wanted things proven. He didn't want to just come up with big ideas. He wanted mm -hmm. to, you know, let energy itself teach him. Did and because he did paint, and because there's so many things that he created within uh, this this museum, and was would he approach creativity in a different manner than he approached? his science? Absolutely. How would he like approach a painting? Well, I mean, he, he watched a lot of videos on TV. And so he, he did learn a certain methodology where he was very literal and learned how to blend. So in, in that respect, it was like his science. He, he went through a process and he went step by step and learned and improved. But he really used his imagination when you look at his little wood creatures in that collection. And he would imagine, you know, what he could see out of this piece of wood and then just give it a nudge and create these uh, amazing creatures. And, and how did, because uh, how long had he been in uh, Fort Bragg? Like uh, decades, right? Pretty much all his life. Did, because, did you, I mean, how did the people of the community view him? I, I mean, he seemed, from what I've read in the photos, I mean, he seems like a very kind and gentle man but then he's also going i've 
clarified the speed of light. Yeah. <laughs> and well, if you're like a fisherman or something, you'd be like, okay. <laughs> well, well, actually, the fishermen were his best customers in terms of taking the classes. He was very simple and he communicated things, um, you know, not by theory and not abstract and not mathematics, but just common sense. And he would show things right in front of you. And, you know, when you look at his equipment, he would, uh, you know, verify the shape of a magnosphere using chicken wire, you know, because if it passed through, it was, the size was smaller. If, if it reflected off the, um, you know, the, the wires, then it was bigger. I mean, it was just, you know, very common sense. Yeah, which, I mean... I I wish I because I'm science stupid, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so it's like, uh, and he's because he also did, did he s simplify or did he reinvent the um, the table of uh, periodic see the table periodic elements. thank you <laughs> this is why I have a smart girlfriend yeah <laughs> yeah periodic I, table of elements yeah well because he had a new model of the atom and it was just a very simple you know model like. Larry's atom is a magnet. It can expand. It can contract. Um, it has a neutron barrier at the center uh, that keeps the other electrons out, you know, from entering the nucleus. And uh, it can be arranged by interior or exterior um, electromotive forces. And, you know, it just does all kinds of things that you wish an atom could do. You know, it's you know, it's scalable, it expands, it, it does amazing things. And so his model is very simple and beautiful. <laughs> now, how did you come to be uh, become aware of, of him? Well, I moved to Fort Bragg um, shortly after the dot bomb, and mm -hmm. I decided to come up here and uh, write a children's book called Einstein's Dream. And uh, some of the characters were the four forces. And when I passed by the sign, I saw that, you know, um, you know he, he had a lot of, you know, things about electromagnetism. So I thought, oh, I just have to meet this guy. And uh, we got to know each other and just hit it off. And it was quite amazing. I mean, this whole journey of getting to know Larry was like, like the gift of my life. I mean, it was just an incredible experience knowing him for all these years and getting to work with him. Yeah, it because before earlier today you said that he was. Did you say he was a mentor or more of a like a guru? Um, I would say that you know, from a selfish point of view, if I was on a mythic journey, going from you know being you know a big ass creative director in the city to suddenly having everything implode and you know finding my new identity out of who I really was as opposed to what I do, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a bit of a journey to take. Um, and, you know, I'd say he's like my Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> if, if I'm on a mythic journey, I mean, you know, for, uh, for about five years, I lived up in the attic here and just, you know, just completely had the opportunity to change my life. I mean, I went from, you know, like Intel and, you know, really slick to um, digging fence posts with Larry. And, you know, he, like he would get his wa water out of a a pipe in a rock up in a mountain. I mean, it was just something I had never been exposed to. I was a city girl, and I had a chance to work with someone and learn how to operate a backhoe. And it, I mean, just it was just incredible. And uh, what did you call the dot dot bomb? And that was after like, was there like? Because I'm forgive me if I don't know, but was that sort of like the that world kind of 
fell a little bit? Well, there was a bit of a crash um, because what happened was I was working for a really big agency doing a lot of work with Intel. Um, like I had some Homer Simpson run across the USA Today page. And so we did really well at that agency. And I decided to start up my own company. And uh, it's really brilliant and there's still nothing like it out there. But, um, you know, we had venture capitalists all lined up. But when it came down to it, um, they didn't have the, the returns from their first round. And so we weren't able to get funded. And I had to disband the team and, you know, sell everything off and cash in everything. And with what I had left, I, I came up here and just decided to wait it out and instead discovered Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, in a, in a weird way... Was that leaving that world and and coming to here? Was that sort of a relief and a rediscovery of like you as a as a human being? Well, absolutely, because again, you know, as I said, you have to start stripping down, you know, the artifice of being in that world. And I just discovered a much more authentic sense of who I was being here. Yeah, because uh, this is something we talked about at breakfast. But it's like you get on a path sometimes in life, and you feel you kind of almost. Uh, get it's trapped to a degree because you're like this is what I got to do. It, is did you f sort of feel trapped in that world too? I mean, well, you know, I must admit I've bounced around. I've had about twenty different careers. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I mean, I, I've never stayed trapped for long, but you know, I've always really excelled and done well at whatever you know uh -huh. uh, career choice I was in at the time, but. Um, yeah, the agency world. I mean, I really I enjoyed it, but it was advertising and I could never go back because I couldn't get, you know, completely emotionally involved and it's my life and you know trying to sell a product. I I just don't think I could take it seriously now. Yeah. Cuz before you were doing uh the in San Francisco and all that stuff, you were doing the record the record covers was that a lot cuz you're also an artist and you also are a great painter. I've seen your works around here. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it, you're you're pretty multi-talented. It's kind of it's it's damn impressive. <laughs> well, you know, like Larry, I also had just a high school education, and um, right out of high school, I went to work and uh, just you know t had job after job. You know, I, I was an art director with McEwen Publishing, and then I was an animator and. Then I got into special effects and uh, the album covers. Uh, I just sort of fell into that and did that for about three or four years and did very well. Uh, um, and yeah. you did you did Rush, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, well, not Rush, oh. but um, I, I was involved slightly in Rush. In the <laughs> Farewell to Kings, a friend of mine was uh, the model, and so I went along. And Hugh Simon, Deborah Samuel were doing a lot of those covers. But I did a lot of covers um, on my own with uh, with Deborah. And Were you in like around a lot of those bands and whatnot? Because bands can be kind of uh, crazy to be around, <laughs> especially in that era of the seventies. Yeah, it, it was you know seventies, eighties. It was um, it was definitely an interesting time, and I and, and unlike a lot of people, I remember a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Uh, and uh, yeah, some of my friends from those bands, eras, uh, wish they didn't remember some of their times. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a really good time. I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the '80s, um, you know, the music and that, you know. So that's not really my genre. But, you know, I had a lot of fun doing that kind of work. Yeah, and 
it, it, did the did you just sort of let the creativity can sort of take you place to place? Because I mean, you you started off as an art director, and then you just sort of did that sort of lead you place to place, just sort of following yeah, your creativity. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, I discovered computers really early on, and so that was um, something interesting that. I, I just I just became passionate about them, which was really strange for an artist, and so that led to an awful lot of opportunities. And uh, Gray Advertising in Toronto, uh, the interactive division, I actually started it with somebody who was a student. I was the teacher's assistant, and um, we started up that agency. There was five of us, and it grew to about 200 in a year. So. It was just being in the right place. I've always been kind of lucky and bouncing, and you know, I just walk, stumbling into things. It's been great. But uh, I mean, that was actually a lot of artists didn't grasp on the computers because I knew some people who were doing, uh, you know, graphic like uh, drawings and stuff when they were people were still buying advertisement drawn by hand, and they lost their jobs due to computers. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I mean, that was in incredible luck but also incredibly smart on your behalf well i was also paying an awful lot of money to typesetters and so you know being able to generate my own copy and have better control over the image and what i was going to see was definitely an incentive but i just found them fascinating and uh yeah so it took off <laughs> <laughs> and also i just while we're still talking about the uh bands in canada you said the band helix you set you up on a blind date with the guy f that you was on an episode of Donahue? <laughs> yeah. No, that was funny. Uh, Brian Vollmer from Helix. Um, I did a lot of their album covers and designed their logo, and they're just great guys. And um, I think Brian Vollmer was getting married, and they wanted to set me up on a date with this guy called Snake. And I was game. I mean, he sounded like a really interesting fellow. And uh, and then I discovered just before we were meeting that he had been on Donahue the, like two days before for people that were ostracized for the way they look. So that's all I knew. And so I was thinking, wow. <laughs> but he was um, covered in tattoos completely from, you know, head to toe. Well, apparently, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't do all the reading, you know, <laughs> but um yeah, he, but he was an amazing guy, and he was a sweetheart, and he was in one of Helix's videos, and at that time, people having full face and head and, and body tattoos wasn't as common as it is now, so. Yeah, and if we were even talking about that, even still face tattoos definitely are still somewhat a, a, a taboo. Like, it's a still like, that's one of the more shocking things people could do, yeah. and that was, and that so when you went on the date, when you first saw this guy, were you like, oh, my God, <laughs> what, what am I in for? No, I mean, he, you know, he was just, he was fun. We danced all night. It was just a great time. And I was on my way to, a, on a road trip um, to, uh, you know, New York and, you know, taking this long voyage with a, a girlfriend of mine. So, you know, we just had a great time. And he's he's a terrific guy, Snake. Did I? So you just went out like like if you went to a French restaurant, some people might have been a little starey, starey. Right. Well, we were at a Helix wedding, so oh. it wasn't. It, it wasn't. It was, you know, yeah. it was pretty common fare. Yeah. But really, truly one of the sweetest guys I've ever met. Thank you very much for listening to this conversation, and we will get back to it in just a moment. But if you can do me a favor, and go to my conversations with matt dwyer page at feral audio and go to the amazon link there and if you put that in your toolbar and every time you do some 
shopping, you buy some underwear, some cleaners, some sh shampoo, razors, movies, books. Anytime you buy something through that link, Conversations with Matt Dwyer gets a small, small percentage of that money, but it goes to Feral Audio, it goes to me uh, for new recorders, chords, things we need to keep these shows coming to you, which we provide for free. Also, if you want to advertise on Conversations with Matt Dwyer, go to themattdwyer.com, find the contacts, email me. Um, $100 will get you one episode that goes out to thousands of people throughout the world, but the thing is, is once that episode's up, it is up for life. Uh, $300 will get you four episodes of advertising. And again, that's thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world. And once it's up, it is up for eternity. So advertise your website, your business, your book, yourself. I don't care. But just do so. Okay, we're back to the conversation. Thank you very much. Isn't it, See, it's, it's interesting because people... I don't know, you see, you see a guy head to toe in tattoos and you're going to assume like maybe... Most people would be like, oh, he's probably a monster and, and a violent, crazy person. <laughs> and then he's like very, very, very sweet. Yeah, yeah, he was great. There's a lesson to be learned there about judging. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's our lesson for today. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, just to go back to uh, Fort Bragg, and when, how long was it until uh, you, when you met Larry? Like, how, What was it like when you first, how, how did you meet him? Well, when I first met him, I thought that he was rather destitute because Larry, if you, if you met him, um, like he would wear pants that he would sew with rope and he'd sew them together. And, you know, he just, he looked very, not not, not homeless, but he, he yeah, he, he just wasn't like one of those super groom guys. He was, um, he looked very poor. And uh, it was about a year and a half um, working with him and when I finally figured out that he wasn't poor at all, like he was a multimillionaire. He had properties all over town, and I had no idea. Did he just, I mean, he... Oh, he got into real estate. That's what happened. He was working in television for years, and uh, he got called into a trial um, over some kind of real estate deal, and he was just amazed at the commission uh, that the people were making. And so he decided to try a hand at real estate. And so this became a real estate office and he just did amazing. How many different things has this building been? It's been a TV, uh, and then a real estate. Did he do it? And then, and of course his lab. Yes. It became his school, his lab. And he w would, he would give classes here as well. Yeah. It was really interesting. Sometimes we would just open the door and people would come in and he would do a five-hour class and take people through all of his experiments. And, you know, really, like, his his discoveries are phenomenal, and I could do a show just on that. But, uh, you know, I think if you go to LarrySpring.com, it does a pretty good job of giving an overview and his new models and, you know, the way things work. Yeah, it and just people would just randomly come in? Like, he would just open up the door and people would... And yeah. Just it would just people would be walking through, and some of the most amazing people have come through here. It's just been really, really fun. Who, who would, what kind of people would come in? Um, well, some people from Star Trek showed up. Oh, really? Day. Yeah, <laughs> I think we have some pictures somewhere. Um, I, I hope Captain Kirk was one of them. Yeah, just <laughs> and Sumner Davis, who was a professor in Berkeley, he he adored Larry. I mean, everybody adored him, and he thought that Larry was a first rate experimenter. 
but um, he didn't really agree with his conclusions. But with Larry, you know, I mean, no one else could have made these discoveries. I mean, it was just, it was so random that he had, again, that small window of opportunity between the advent of analog TV and digital just a few decades and his discovery of magnospheres. Um, so basically, uh, magnospheres are the magnetic component of electromagnetism, and it's um, their spherical um, alternating polarity, dual polarity, and uh, yeah, if you go on the website, you can find out a lot about them. <laughs> it's did it yeah it, it's interesting. Did a lot of science did he discuss a lot of his uh, discoveries with other scientists? Because you, you like you said, that guy from Berkeley came in, and I'm curious if like how other science community like. Well, what the great opportunity here is um, for people to get past his presentation because he, he liked to use words like photons when really he was talking about magnospheres in the, in the visible range. And so the entire electromagnetic spectrum are all magnospheres. And uh, so his language was not always consistent. He would jump around and it would kind of contradict itself if, if you didn't really understand all of his experiments from beginning to end. It, it's kind of like, um, you know, the blind man and the elephant, mm -hmm. you know, because someone would say, well, how can it be talking about, you know, heat being electron activity as opposed to molecule on bumping on molecule? He doesn't understand heat, but he's got a new model for heat. He's got a beautiful model for friction. Um, he's got, you know, the new atom. And reflection, his his, you know, work on reflection is brilliant. And uh, I just, <laughs> it's just it's astounding to me because I'm just I'm such not a science brain. So I the fact that this guy is, you know, just graduated high school and is able to access all this knowledge and through, you know, his imagination and creativity is. Well, it was more. His common sense and stubbornness, it, more than imagination <laughs> and crea creativity, seriously, because, you know, he would look at things in a very literal way. And so he didn't have preconceived ideas, so he was able to look at things fresh and just say, well, look, at this is what I'm seeing. And, and was he, because when you were saying, like, was he kind of always just in work mode, like thinking? Yes, and he was obsessed with it that was day yeah. and night that's all he thought about he was really into this because you're when you were saying the thing about how he would you know you thought he was homeless and destitute and it's like it just made me think of like any kind of super geniuses yeah their brain is going to be on 80 other things other than their pants <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, uh maybe i should stop thinking about my pants so much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'd be a lot smarter um, and like these, these, what are the significance of like all these, these rocks in, that are surrounding us? Well, you know, Larry was also, one of his interests was he was a rock hound, so he would go around and collect this and it's built into quite a collection. Um, you know, I mean, I'm looking behind me and I, this brings up a, a memory right here. Um, can you tell what these are? I can't. Yeah. They're, they're fish eyeballs. Are they yeah. real fish eyeballs? Yeah, they are. 
And <laughs> one of the reasons that I thought he was homeless <laughs> was that he, you know, he he would get me to take him down to the harbor, and he would just pick up all the carcasses of fish, you know, like the backs, the heads, and things that people were throwing away, and he'd grab them and put them in a bucket and disappear with them. And what he was doing was making molecular cod. What? And he would take all these fish guts and things that people didn't want and put it in a pressure cooker and cook it until it all kind of sagged down. And then he'd stir it up and he'd eat it with his oatmeal. Oh, my God. And the only thing that um, didn't dissolve were the eyeballs. And so I have distinct memories of him chewing and then <laughs> spitting up the eyeballs. <laughs> oh, my God. That's <laughs> so, but it wasn't like they weren't like fish that had been hanging out dead on the beach, or like it was because no, no, it's no. a fishing he, he town. Got them from you know the the, the, yeah. the fish. Did people. you ever try this stuff? Yeah, I did. I tried molecular cod. It's gamey. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can't throw some like sugar in there or any. Uh, you know, listen. He was ninety four, and he was amazingly fit. He was, you know, like at ninety age ninety three. I think on his birthday, we put a culvert in a road. I mean, he was just always busy, always doing things. He was up on the roof. He was. Do you think that, I mean, that fed into his longevity is just the guy didn't sit still, that he kept his brain and body active? Yeah, he, he believed in burning all of his molecules as opposed to dieting or trying to get thin. He would just work and work and work and you know, build muscle. I mean, he was so strong. Unbelievable. Did he ever have a day where he's like, all right, I'm just going to watch some television? <laughs> you know, he didn't even have a television, but he did, in the evenings, he'd read National Geographic magazines every night. Which is still kind of working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, I mean, National Geographic is incredible, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not the most uh, relaxing <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And um, his his time in the war was that because it, it did that was that part of his sort of education because it seems like he had an education but not in the orthodox way because he I figured you said something earlier on with uh, with him working with antennas and it all seemed like some of these things that he did in his past built up to yeah absolutely um because he was 27 when he went into the war and became a pilot he was put on transport because they the younger guys were the ones that became the fighter pilots and so um again i think i said he flew transport planes between casablanca tripoli cairo and naples and I, we've got amazing photo albums of his trips and you know i think on the website i've got a picture of him on a camel in front of a pyramid i mean just amazing how many lives this man has led and uh, he specialized in instrument training um, and that kind of revived his interest in uh, radio and he became a special instructor for night and instrument flying and he also took advantage of the slipstream out the window of his plane to advance his um, knowledge of aerodynamics and wind resistance so he was always working and experimenting it's yeah it just seems like I've known people, I can't say, no one could probably say they knew anybody like him, but, but like similar, and it's, was there ever like a day where he's like, I'm blue or down, because it just seems like, uh, just. No, no I've, I've, in, I can 
how many years did I work with him? Um, you know, nine or ten. Um, no, I never saw him like that. I never saw him just, you know, I mean, he had this expression that, you know, if, if he called and it was like seven in the morning and I was asleep, he'd say, get up, you lazy critter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah, he, he just... Um, he loved life. He had an energy. He was always interested in, um, you know, what the day would bring. He was excited about every day. I mean, he was, he was like one of the healthiest, happiest persons I've ever known in my life. And was, did that rub off on you all the time? Cause I know you. No, no, <laughs> no, yeah, no, absolutely. It did. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, he's been a huge influence. Cause you were saying that, uh, Fort Bragg can be a very, like a tough town sometimes. Like you said, people will move here from the big city thinking they're like in a, and then Fort Bragg schools some people. Yeah, it can, it can drag you to your knees and, you know, teach you what you're made of. It's, um, it's not easy to live, you know, so isolated away from culture, away from, you know, I mean, there's a culture here for sure, but, you know, not like being in the city with museums and all the distractions that they have, but. It's so beautiful. It's just so gorgeous here. Yeah, it's incredibly beautiful. I was wondering, too, because you drive around, and it's like, because it's on the coast, and there's part of me that's like, how come, like, some evil developer hasn't come in here yet? <laughs> oh. I mean, is that, have, have you seen people sniffing around at all? Um, yeah, no, not really. It's, um, you know, we're pretty tough here. <laughs> I mean, we have one Starbucks and that was like a major scandal. Did people fight the Starbucks? A little bit, but you know, they, they fought off Walmart. They fought off everything here. Did, didn't Wal they fought the whalers. They went out um, in boats. And really? They fought the whalers. Yeah. Was this? The whale wars of Fort Bragg. When, legendary. when, when was that? Uh, before my time. Before your time. And that was? So these people were just coming and killing whales and willy nilly, and the the, the town folks were yeah, like, went after f off, yeah, yeah. beat their ass. <laughs> That's really incredible. Where were the whalers coming from? Do you know? Um, I you know I'm absolutely not the most educated person on this, but I think you know from Japan and different places. But you know, it's again, there's people that know a lot more about that than I do. Yeah, it's just it. Fort Bragg is a very it's it's a very interesting city, and I didn't know anything about it. And it's like so to actually be here, and because so many coastal cities are very just like fluffy little yuppie holes. Well, yeah, it's uh, definitely not that, and it's hard to get here. I mean, you know what the two-hour windy road is like to get here, um, but you know it's also been the the home of many great movie like east of eden was filmed here and um it's the home of murder she wrote cabot cove and just hundreds of of films have been made here yeah i mean it it's it's really stunning it's <laughs> i mean i i think I, I said earlier i mean it's like at its at its worst it's beautiful and everything else from there is undescribable because yes, it's so it is. It's so intensely beautiful up here. Mm -hmm. And uh, is, is this where you plan on, on spending the rest of your life? In well, I, I, I do a lot of traveling, but this is what I definitely call home. And uh, I'm invested. I, my house is, you know, right out back. And um, I've got the museum here that Larry left me. 
Um, he left me all his work and his ashes. And uh, a friend of mine, Anne Marine, and I, she's from Canada, and she's um, getting her master's uh, to be a curator. And she and I have been working together, and she's done an amazing job on a lot of these displays. And uh, we're hoping to open in the fall and uh, bring in a lot of people. And when is, is yeah, it's officially open. Cause, but did he, and his, but it before it was, was it also a museum when was he alive, or it was just sort of his no, teaching it was, place? No, it was his classroom. It was his school. Yeah, and then, and then how long from his passing to now has this sort of been built? Um, he died in, uh, 2009, mm. like right at the end of 2009. So like five years, five years. And I mean, it must've, I mean, t to put his work together could not be an easy chore. No, it, it definitely wasn't. I mean, I, I worked with him for about a year and he kept talking about photons. And then one day it's like, Larry, is a photon not a, a, a magnosphere in the visible range? And he said, yeah, it's a magnosphere. And I'm like, yikes, why are you calling them <laughs> photons? I mean, it's so confusing. A photon is something completely different from a magnosphere. <laughs> and so, so at that point, then I suddenly had this quest of, okay, uh, the science books are not right where Larry's concerned, but Larry's book is not right where Larry's concerned. So that was... I think the, the biggest contribution I made was that the year before he died, and he was healthy right up until weeks before he died, um, we went through his book one page at a time and uh, had a chance to really eliminate a lot of the contradictions, confusion, and he was able to, um, you know, uh, put things really right. And it was great for him because, you know, his his work had come progressively, you know, it was like he was standing at a blackboard one day and he went, wait a minute, this model of the atom won't work. You know, it needs to, you know, the interior needs to be arranged by electromotive forces. It needs to expand. It needs to do this. It needs to be a magnet. Or, um, you know, I can show you a demonstration on friction that will blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get my mind blown by that demonstration. And... I, I, when he passed, I mean, it, how how long was it until you found that, that, or did you already know that you would be sort of taking all this over? No, he really surprised me with this. Uh, I was not expecting it. I really was not wanting to do it. It was just too much. I mean, it was, um, you know, the buildings are very distressed, and, um, you know, uh, his work was... Um, you know, brought from other places in boxes. And, you know, it was chaos for a long time. And so it was definitely a struggle for the first few years, just trying to sift and sort through things. And, um, yeah, you know, so it was, it was definitely a challenge. Did you ever think, like, oh, my God, I don't want this, when that came down the road? At first... You know, I'm not an administrator. Um, he had wanted to set me up with a foundation and give me a lot of properties, and I did not want that. I did not want that responsibility. So, um, but, you know, he left me his ashes and his work. I mean, the things that were the most important to him. So, you know, I mean, I feel really blessed that he trusted me with that. And I, I guess he was right to trust me because I'm still slugging away at it here. Yeah, and it, as I said before, though, it, it looks incredible what is 
the goal that you hope to have this museum? What, what do you hope for it to bring to people? Well, what I really hope is that it will bring people to the museum who have a much better understanding of his work than I do. I mean, I, on a good day, I can talk quite eloquently about it, but not when I've got a microphone in front <laughs> of me because I get a little, you know, um, yeah. But, you know, I'm hoping that people that, you know, really have a, a better understanding of, um, you know, physics can come. And when they see the whole thing put together as a whole, as opposed to individual components, can take it to the next level because there is a, a beauty and an elegance and a, a symmetry. And uh, I mean, if you think about Einstein, you know, like his, he didn't even like his own, uh, the quantum theory. It was kind of ugly and chaotic, and he he wasn't into that. He loved the beauty, and I think he, I, I think Einstein would have liked this. It's very beautiful. Yeah, and there's simple. It it when you walk into here too, there is, I don't know, there's an element where I kind of felt like a kid, <laughs> where yeah. there's that it jars some sort of uh, wonder and interest, like an in, in intrigue, where you're like, oh, what's this? And I want to look at this. It's yeah, there's stuff all over the place here that's just amazing, and it's really interesting because with my own work, um, my my. Uh, code was, you know, I wanted to inspire wonder, curiosity, and joy. That's my mantra for the work that I do. And when I met Larry, um, you know, that's what it did to me. It inspired that as well. That's great. And so this, I think it's safe, very safe to say that this place will continue to inspire people. Yeah, I mean, the, the rock dinner party in the window alone is enough to <laughs> no, that's a give us. <laughs> we were, like, after we saw that, we walked away, and we're, uh, we were both like, we've seen this before. Like, his work was known just, I mean, it was, I've, I don't know if I've seen an article about that or him before I actually. Well, you know, I mean, a rock dinner party, I don't know that that's altogether unique. Um, I'm just, sure that other people have done similar things, but. You know, I mean, this this is a this is a beauty. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. this one's a beauty. Yeah, that whole the whole front window display is is incredible. Like, yeah, um, and that's a teaser of what you get when you you know you know what I mean you see that and you, and then you walk in here and it, it go it's tenfold as. Yeah, that was um, and also Anne Marine and a fellow. Gosh, I think his name was Justin, but for the website, I'll I'll get his real name. He he came in and did some help here. He had worked with the pirate store in San Francisco, um, and uh, you know that that's a well known um, place that sells you know like a gallon of gravity. I mean, it's just <laughs> you know uh, it's it's really a wonderful place. And uh, so he helped with the uh, the window as well. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of things to see here. Yeah. Um, I was I just went a little goofy in the head. Uh, when do you officially open again? Well, I'm hoping for the fall. And does he have a following like out in the world? Do a lot of people know who he is and do they will flock to come here? Well, he's kind of, you know, I mean, people from all over the world have come. And certain people do know about him for sure. Um, he was a speaker with the Tesla Society for years. Oh, wow. And so there's a lot of people that would be interested, and um, they talk about him. I tried um, having a, you know, a big chat um, message board kind of, what do you call it? Um, a Reddit or an AMA. 
something like that, yeah. And it got taken over by Russian pornographers <laughs> when I wasn't looking, and it was like, oh my, <laughs> that's very mm. strange. That's part but, of the communist plot, I think. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, um, but I, you know, he's a very well kept secret. You know, um, his his own not inability, but you know, his own st- you know way of expressing things was not that clear. I'm very good on paper. I'm not a spokesperson. I'm not a speaker type. So, um, you know, I can work behind the scenes. And, you know, again, the website does a really good job of simplifying it. And I'm really proud of the work that was done on the book. Um, But again, I I think getting a spokesperson that truly understands his work would be the next step. Somebody who's got the background and credibility to be able to answer in-depth questions and I mean, I'd certainly a better job could have been done talking about his main discoveries, but please go to the website and let that do the work. Yeah, the website is really great, and it's... It's a work in progress. It's, it's, it's a few years old. That was one of the first things I did, and, you know, Larry didn't really know he had a website because he wasn't into the web, and I think I showed it to him once or twice, and he kind of fell asleep in a chair. <laughs> And and I thought, this is very zen, you know. I mean, I'm doing this, like, major website. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's it's a good starting point for us. Okay, to to wrap it up, where, what is, just to repeat it, what is the website and... Well, um, the website is www.larryspring.com and uh, Anne Marine has put together a Facebook page for the museum, so that's... um, the Larry Spring School of Common Sense Physics on Facebook. And uh, his book, you can get it at lulu.com. And it's called Magnospheres in the Spring Atom. And it's amazing. There's the deluxe hardcover, and then there's a, a more affordable soft cover, and you can also just get an ebook. Okay, and does the, if people buy that, uh, does that of course supports what yeah, goes on and, here? Yeah, and yet the prices are really reasonable. I think the soft cover is about nineteen dollars, but because it's print on demand, I've got a stack of books here, and Larry would do them himself, and he would photocopy them and bind them together and glue the the spines on, and you know everything was done by hand. So that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you very much, Heather Brown. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Uh, if you are enjoying this road sh- trip series, please donate some money and help us out. Um, we want to do more of these. Uh, you can go to Feral Audio and go to the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page. You could donate or you could shop through Amazon. Follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer. Go to the mattdwyer.com. Thank you for listening. You're awesome. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped.
incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.